So, I'm going to deal with a, an issue we've talked about before. Uh, it's an issue that we will never say everything that needs to be said about. But it is the issue of pride. C.S. Lewis, one of the great Christian thinkers of the 20th century, said pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature, while the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only having more of it than someone else. And then from great Christian thinker to uh, someone completely different, Pat Riley, basketball coach, uh, had a book, The Winner Within, it tells about the 1980 World Championship Los Angeles Lakers. They won the NBA championship that year, and they were recognized as the best team in the world. And they began the 1980-81 season expecting to have back-to-back trophies. They were just so certain of it. But within weeks of the season opening, Magic Johnson tore a cartilage in his knee and needed a three-month recuperation period. And the team and the fans rallied. They were, uh, the remaining players played their hearts out that year. They did, did an amazing job. And they were determined to make it through this, this period that was problematic for them. Without losing any of their rankings, they wanted to keep pushing forward. And they were winning 70% of their games at the time. But, this is where pride begins to kick in. When the time began to draw near for Magic Johnson to return, as it grew closer, the publicity around him increased. During timeouts in the games, the public address announcer would always say, and don't forget to mark your calendars for February 27th, Magic Johnson returns to the lineup at the world champion Los Angeles Lakers. Riley writes, that every time that was done, the other players would look up and quietly curse. They were thinking, we're winning now. What's so great about the 27th? But as it approached, fewer and fewer things were being said about the team who were putting out so much effort. All the media attention was focused on the one player who hadn't done a thing for three months. Finally, the 27th came, and as they clicked through the turnstiles, every one of the 17,500 ticket holders, I've lived in towns with fewer population. Every one of them was handed a button that said, the magic is back. At least 50 press photographers crowded onto the floor while the players were introduced. Now normally, it was practice in the Lakers. The only ones who would be announced were the ones who were actually going to start the game. Magic Johnson was not going to start the game. He was going to be on the bench for a while. And still, his name was called out. And the arena stood up and everyone started clapping wildly. Magic Johnson... Riley's words, was like a returning God to the crowd that night. Meanwhile, the other players who had carried the team for three months were totally ignored. 
And they were full of jealousy. They were full of resentment, anger, and envy. They were so upset. They barely won the game that night against a bottom-of-a-bucket team. They should have won with no problem whatsoever. The morale of the team completely collapsed. The players turned on each other. Ultimately, the coach was fired. They eventually lost their opening game of the playoffs and had the most disastrous record ever. This is what Riley said. Because of greed, pettiness, and resentment, we executed one of the fastest falls from grace in NBA history. It was the disease of me. And every one of us here can know, without any shadow of doubt, pride can turn ugly very quickly when it's played out in the human heart. It seems that by nature, people somehow think the world revolves around them. When we talk about little kids, and all, folks, we grown-ups do the same thing. We sometimes get in our heads whether we would ever express it verbally. We are the best. We are the most important. And that's true even of believers. It'd be nice if I could say pride was just an issue for those who don't know the Lord, right? Then we could say, okay, well, we're off the hook. But that's not true. Even Christians can get caught up in the me first mentality. Read 1st and 2nd Corinthians and you will see a church that was very much alive with me first mentality. Paul knew of that. He knew the problem. And he knew the dangers of having pride focused on the wrong thing. And so in his letter to Galatians, he is drawing it to a close. We're going to be looking at Galatians 6, 11-15 today. Paul pointed to the only one that Christians are supposed to give glory to. And I'll give you a hint. It's not ourselves. So if you will, stand and let's hear what he had to say. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to be to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. In this text, Paul wrote about the only thing that he had in his life that was worth boasting for. He let his people know, I glory in the cross of Christ. I will boast about that. And we really need to hear him. We really need to hear him today, because we can get too easily caught up in what Riley called the disease of me. As we look at our text prayerfully, we will learn, really understand that only the cross of Christ is worthy of our, our boasting. But is that true? I mean, can't we pat ourselves on the back? Can't we boast a little bit? 
Well, I believe it is true. And why it's true will be shown in the truths that this text points us to. So as we look at our text this morning, trying to understand what it means to glory in the cross, we begin, as, as we look, we can see the importance of the cross in our text. This isn't a long text. It isn't a deeply involved text. But we can see how important the cross was when we look at it. And while he may not, in your, in your mind, you're saying, but Danny, he didn't say anything about the importance of the cross. Well, he did. We just can't see it so clearly. He doesn't spell it out. But Paul called for the Galatians' utmost attention. Through the centuries, a lot of attention has been focused on Paul saying, see what large letters I'm writing with in my own hand. Now, coupled with Paul's statement in Galatians 4.15, I can testify that if you had done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Some have said, this proves that Paul had eye problems. We know that's what it's talking about. Pure and simple. Well, folks, that's probably not what he meant. He's doing something very important here. It's probable that Paul had been dictating the letter to somebody else. And at that point, he picks up the stylus and starts writing the ending verses in his own hand. And he did that often in 1 Corinthians 16, Colossians 4, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3. This was a common practice that Paul did. Timothy George has pointed out that we do something similar every time. If you've ever had a legal document drawn up by a lawyer and you had to sign it in front of a witness to validate that you are who this is talking about, then we get the idea. Someone else writes it up and then we have to sign. If that's the case, if it's not about I have bad eyes and so I'm having to write big letters to you, why does Paul write the final words to the Galatians in large letters? Well, Suppose, suppose I, I have sent you a letter or an email or a text message. Some way I've written something to you. You can't see my body language. You can't hear my tone of voice. And I need to try to get across to you. I want you to understand why this is important to me. So how can I make it clear that I really wanted you to hear me in my text, my email, my letter, how can I get across to you? Please listen to this. Please pay attention. Well, how about if I write it like that? Maybe I could try this. How many of you have ever gotten an email, text message, in all caps? Now, even then, we're still not sure what they're saying because they could be saying, I am really mad at you. Or they could be saying, I'm really excited. Now, nowadays with emoticons, emojis, uh, they can make that sure you, they can give you an angry face or a happy face. But if I were to send you something, all blocks, big letters, you would know that's important. So Paul's letters would have the same effect on the readers of his letter. In fact, 
there was a, a biblical a scholar way back in the 4th century, Theodore uh, Matsuesta. Uh, he was an early Christian theologian. And writing about this text, this is what he said. Paul wrote this way because he wanted to show that he himself was neither ashamed of what he was saying nor inclined to deny it. In other words, Paul is saying, this is me and I really need you to pay attention. I need you to understand what I'm saying right now. Listen to what I have to say about the cross. You've got to get this. Now remember the Galatians are having trouble with the, the false teachers and beginning to be persuaded that the cross isn't all that important. You have to have the cross and work. So Paul's saying, I'm, I'm going to do this one last time and I'm going to try to make it as clear as I possibly can. And if we're not careful, we can become too familiar with the cross. Because of the false teachers, the Galatians are beginning to forget about the foundation that the cross played in their lives. And sometimes having known that we are saved by Christ's atoning work, we know that. But we begin to take it for granted. We don't think about it very much. We don't reflect on what our salvation costs. We're very happy to be saved. We're very excited that God has included us into the family of God. But we don't always think about how that happened. And so, we begin to see ourselves as just some, we're good people. I'm a good person. Uh, I've shared once before that I have had a personality throughout my life that I wanted people to like me. Because I love people, kind of. And when I would find somebody who didn't like me, I would work really hard to make them. In my younger days, I was just not bright enough to get that wasn't going to work. In fact, the harder I tried to please them, the further they pulled away. So sometimes we just think, and this is what I used to think as a young man. Why don't they like me? I'm a nice guy. I'm witty. I'm charming. I'm smart. They really ought to like me. We begin to think of ourselves. We're good. And that's all that counts. And what happens? We begin to be like some... You, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, because some of you would have to raise your hands for yourselves. And I don't want you to do that. Think about a patient. It doesn't matter whether it's a physical situation, a mental, emotional, whatever it is, but a patient who needs meds because they have a chronic decision, uh, situation going on in their life. And there comes a point in time they think, you know what? I'm feeling really good now. I don't need my meds anymore. And so they stop. That's one of the quickest ways down the rabbit hole you can find. You know, two plus two equals four. I'm feeling better. I have meds that are helping my illness Maybe I shouldn't get rid of them. The only reason they're better is because they're not taking their meds correctly. And folks, I love you. I like you. Normally. 
But nobody in this room is inherently good. We're good people because of what Christ has done in our lives. And if we're not so very careful, we can find ourselves adrift and just begin to think we're good people. And my being a good person is enough to tell somebody they need the Lord. Well, it's not. We must keep our attention focused on the importance of the cross. And this is, this is something I think every believer should do. Every one of you, myself also, periodically, we need to get back to that moment. And if we can remember, when we surrendered our lives into the hands of Christ. Remember that moment in time when God broke through all of the, the darkness in your mind, the sin, and He gave you life in Jesus Christ and you had a fresh start. Remember that, cherish it, and never lose sight. The reason we are making progress in this world is because Jesus Christ has saved us. And if there is good in me, it comes from His hand. The cross is crucial. So again, you get that we need to understand the cross absolutely imperative that we understand that and look back to it and the, the hymn that we sang, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, one of the lines says, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All those th- vain things that charge me more, I sacrifice them to His blood. Folks, the cross has given us life. So again, as we look at our text, we can see the problem of boasting our own accomplishments. That disease of me. I sometimes hear people call it me-itis. Begins to take over our lives sometimes. We get caught up in wanting, wanting attention. Now Paul draws their attention back to those false teachers. Okay? And he lets them know the motivations of the Judaizers was not a pure thing. These men are coming up and saying, look, we're really concerned about you. Paul's only giving you part of the truth. Yes, you need to have faith in what Jesus Christ did, but that's not all of the truth. For some reason, Paul's holding back on you. So we're going to give you truth. And what that truth is, have faith in Jesus, be circumcised, and you need a salvation that is a combination of faith and works. Now, Paul pointed out, so they're presenting themselves, we want what's best for you. Paul's pointing out they were not to be trusted. Why? He tells them these are the reasons they're doing it. They don't want to be persecuted because of the cross of Christ. Judaism in Paul's day would probably have tolerated it if Christianity had just stayed as a sect of Judaism, if they had not denounced circumcision, if they had not started saying Jesus is the one way. And if Christianity had stayed in that subset, then there wouldn't have been a problem with the cross being a stumbling block. But these men that are talking to the Galatians are probably well aware of all the things that have happened to Paul because of the cross. 
he was being persecuted. He was being, he's been beaten. He will be thrown in jail a lot. He will be shipwrecked. All these kind of things are happening because Paul a Jew began to say, works of the law will not save you, only the cross. And they saw what was happening to him and they said, you know what? We don't want that. So we'll talk about Jesus, but we will also talk about the law because we don't want somebody coming after us. And then he said that they only do because they want to boast in your flesh. Now what does he could possibly mean by that? If they are able to bring Judaizers to the place of uh, the Gentiles to a place of circumcision and a place of following the law, then they will be able to show everybody else, look, we've won people into the Jewish faith. And there are more and more of us all the time. Somebody has likened them to scalp hunters who go around taking trophies to be paid off. They're saying, we could really become popular. Not only with the Christian crowd, but with our own Jewish heritage. Because we are essentially making these Gentiles into Jews who will go on to have a relationship with this Rabbon. How do we know they were insincere? Paul states it very bluntly. Even those who are keeping keeping the law, who practice circumcision, they're not really following the law. Paul's made it abundantly clear. No person can follow it perfectly. They're not even following the own law that they're trying to put on you. So they're not sincere. They're not even trying to keep the law. So what they're wanting to do is gain fame, gain prevalence, be important. That's their heart. When it comes down to us, when we try to bring glory to ourselves, we lose sight of the truths of God. It's real easy for me to say, oh man, how... How could they not see the, the, those, mo- those, those motivations of the Judaizers? That's so clear and it's so much. Much. Man, that was so bad, so wrong to try to get people so you will become more popular. But if we allow ourselves to follow the delusion that we are fine and moral good people, if we are satisfied with saying, you know what, I'm just a good guy, we may begin to think we deserve the praise. And we may start doing good deeds to get glory. And all of a sudden, doing performance to get praise can become part of our lifestyle as well. And we may begin to think of ourselves something like this. Behold, a great man. Now give me the honor I deserve. I've served you. Now tell me how great I am. I have done nice things. I've done good things. I've worked a soup kitchen. I have gone to a hospital to visit. I have brought a souffle to my neighbor when they've lost someone. I'm doing really good things and I want attention. I want attention. Jesus makes it very clear. In the Sermon on the Mount, 
One more time, I'm going to encourage you. Read Matthew 5-7. through That is a declaration of what citizens of the kingdom should look like. And Jesus warned His disciples, don't do anything to get honor from people. Back during Katrina, we had a group of uh, folks come in to Pearl River County. And they were so excited. They wanted to help. They, wa- they wanted to do something. And, and they wanted, man, they said, what can we, what can we do? And they were told, we need you to help clean up, uh, limbs. Limbs that are already cut down, help get them piled up, do this, help that. And that's not what they came for. They wanted to come for something heroic. They wanted to come for something big. We can't be bothered by gathering up debris. We want to do something important. I won't tell you where they came from, but they packed up their truck and they left. If we can't do something that we can brag about back home, we'll do nothing. I just believe something, folks, and I believe it very real. We should check our motivations for service regularly in this life. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I like the Judaizers wanting all the attention on me? Or do I want people to praise me for what I've done and make sure that everyone knows I'm a great guy? Do I want applause? Do I want recognition? Do I have to have plaques raised in my name? Do I have to get letters from all over the country? What a great thing you're doing. I need to ask, am I reaching out to help somebody to feel better about myself? And I've just left the restaurant and I've had a great meal on a Sunday afternoon. And I see one of these folks with a sign. They're hungry. And I'm feeling a little bit guilty because I just had this nice meal. And I don't like feeling guilty. So maybe I pull the car over and I reach into my wallet and I give them a tremendously wonderful gift of $5. And I drive away I've done something good for the Lord. What I really wanted to do was soothe my conscience. Am I helping to receive praise? And will I get angry when I do something good and they don't even say thank you? I'll admit there have been times I've gone through drive through I'm, I'm this witty, charming guy. And I'm saying, I hope you have a great day. And I pay them off, and they take the money and give me my stuff. And they don't say thank you. And I've been known to drive for a few minutes, ruminating. They didn't even say thank you. They need to be trained better. Do I want praise, or do I serve? Because Christ has called me to do it without any personal glory. You know those folks? I've mentioned the text. Come into the kingdom prepared. You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was in prison and I was sick. All these things and say, we don't know what you're talking about. The whole point of that text is these people were doing godly acts without wanting to garnish praise from anybody. They were doing it because they loved Jesus and they loved people. So, we need to look at ourselves. 
And finally, as we look, we can see, this is the really beautiful part, the wonder that is ours because of the cross. This is so amazing. When you think about the Apostle Paul, persecutor of the church, the one who tried to undo the Christian walk, who, who tried to make a mockery of everything they believed, is writing to a church of Gentiles that he probably wouldn't have had a conversation with had it not been for Christ. Because Paul understood something. Paul knew that his life was forever changed by Christ's death upon the cross. He knew that. For the Judaizers, the cross was an object of shame. And Paul said, I boast in the cross of Christ alone. Because he knew that was what changed him. James Montgomery Boyce wrote as beautifully, as Paul looked back on his life, he realized that before conversion, he was exactly like the Judaizers. Once he too was ruled by externals and glorified in human attainment. You can read about that in Philippians 3, 3 and 5, or 5. But when he met Christ, all of that passed. So much so, he was able to apply the bold image of crucifixion to it. The world with its selfish attitudes was crucified to him, and he was now crucified to the world, and in its place came Jesus Christ alone. The Judaizers were glorying in their accomplishments, in their flesh, what they were able to do. Paul was glorying in the cross of Christ and noted and said, look, this is this, right in your face. You get, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. I don't care. That's not the issue. The issue is when you think that circumcision will save you. The only thing that matters, he says, is a new creation. Jesus Christ and what He accomplished has brought you life. And that's what counts. And so this text again reminds me it's important to remember that salvation was never, has never been about human accomplishment. It has never. And as Baptists, we will really stress we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. We, you know that. But we get saved and we think, well, we've got to perform really well to, to still fit in and be what God wants us to be. Holding the truth that, that it was never about what we accomplished either before our salvation or afterward. We can be free from the bondage of performance. We can be free of thinking that we've got to be good enough to deserve grace because we will never be that good. It is only in the cross, the sacrificial of Christ, death of Christ, that redemption can be found. And it is only through the cross and His, His death and resurrection and His life giving spirit into our lives that we can become the people we are called to be. And we need to remember that. It's never been about us. It has always been about Him. And we will find at that point our reason for glory. The reason, again, there is anything worthwhile in me comes because at a very early age of my life I trusted in Christ. And I have brothers and sisters in the Lord who helped show me the way to live and grow. And it is all Jesus. 
I like introducing you to folks you may not know. One such man is Francis Asbury. Asbury was one of the first Methodist bishops in America. Uh, he had a hard ministry. He had a tough life. Uh, and he ministered during the, the time just leading up to the revolution and after. So being a minister from Britain was a little dicey for him at that point. But listen to what he wrote. Were I disposed to boast, my boasting would be found true. I was converted at the age of 16. At the age of 18, I began to preach and travel some in Europe. At 26, I left my native land, bade adieu to my weeping parents, and crossed a boisterous ocean to spend the rest of my days in a strange land. In 30 years, I have crossed the Allegheny Mountains 58 times. I have slept in the woods and been without food and covering. Through the southern states, I have waded swamps and led my horse for miles. And in these journeys, took cold that brought on the diseases and now prey on my body and must soon terminate my life in death. So, tough. But listen to his final statement. But in my mind, it's still the same. That through the merits of Christ and by the grace of God, I am saved. All of the hard work I've done, he's letting us understand it's all because of Jesus. And all of the pains and all of the sufferings, I seem to call the scripture saying about all the evils of this present world will be found to be worth it all. Asbury understood We ought to always recognize that our only hope lies in the actions of an atoning Savior. Our fear of failure. What if I don't do it, Lord? What if, what if I mess up? Well, we can remember that Christ came to us at our worst. When we didn't know God, didn't love God, didn't want God, Jesus came to give us life. When we were trying to live life our way and do what we wanted, He set us free by His death and resurrection. With that hope, we can travel through life rejoicing. We can shout out praises to the Christ who came to save sinners. And we will understand all that we have that is worthwhile, that is true, that is rich, that is life, all of that is because of Jesus Christ. And we will learn what Paul understood. My richest gain, I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. I have one reason to boast. Folks, God took a 15-year-old boy in northeast Texas and let him know, I've got a plan for your life. And I'll admit, at 15, I was pretty cocky. When I understood God was calling me to ministry, there was a brief moment in time 
I actually thought, Billy Graham, better watch out. Here I come. Sixteen's license to preach. I was 20 when I was ordained. And I still have some of those first sermons that I preached. And God was very loving and gracious to me. He gave me a very patient group of people, my first church. One of my first sermons had 14 points. Now, I went through them pretty quick, but I have 14 things that I thought were absolutely important for me to say. Whatever growth there's been in my life has come at the hand of Christ. Whatever is rich, is true in my life, comes at the hand of Christ. And because so, I need to understand that Christ is calling us to follow Him. Maxie Dunham said it is a cross style of life to which Christians are called. The God who so loved the world that He gave His only Son for it expects the church likewise to love the world and give itself for it. The great expression of the Spirit each day We listen to this. This is our call. The expression of the Spirit each day is to get the cross out of the church and into the world. That's what we're called to do. To make a difference. And this can happen if we begin to glory in the cross. When we begin to let people know this is what is meaningful and rich and true and powerful in my life. When we see the importance of the cross and we think about it frequently and and regularly looking and and reminding ourselves of everything that Christ did for us, coming to to where Paul came, everything that happened before is a bunch of garbage. It doesn't mean anything. What is happening now and worthwhile is we're running the course toward the mark of the prize of the high call when we see the importance of the cross, when we see the problems of boasting in ourselves, it can't be about me. That includes, well, there's there's so many things I could get in trouble with, so I'll just stop there. It can't be about me. It is about Jesus Christ. And when we see the wonder uh, that is ours through the atoning work of Christ, When we look what it means to be a child of God, we have freedom. We have forgiveness. We have wholeness. We have purpose. We have richness in our lives. All because of grace that was opened up to us because Christ was willing to obey even to the death on the cross. So I'm asking you to do something with me today. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm asking you, let us commit to boasting only in Christ what He's done and continues to do in our lives. Let that become the thing that gives you the most joy in life because you're thinking and you're understanding what God has done. And let's begin to boast Him. Let us give Him glory. Let us shine His glory out into a world that is broken and in desperate need of His healing. We need to let 
God now. Our hearts are open before him. We need to let this world know that Christ has saved us. I read a Sunday school story years ago. I want so much for it to be true. A little boy went to his, his Sunday school for the very first time. And he was a little tight, five, maybe six. He came home and it, his mom finally got to talk to him about it. He said, well, how did you like Sunday school? And he said, he, I like it. He goes, that one, my Sunday school teacher, she must be Jesus' grandmother. Because all she wants to talk about is Jesus. I'm not saying attack every person you see and Jesus, 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 Jesus them to death. But I'm asking you to go out there and live for Him. And as you live for Him and the door of opportunity comes, you can say, let me tell you about the one who's changed.